Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The very idea seems absurd that the way you style or cut your hair could become a reason for your employer to discriminate against you. And yet, a recent bill in the Michigan Senate aims to curb that kind of behavior. Today, we're going to talk about hair and hair discrimination and how it connects to restrictive beauty standards that exist in our nation. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Our hair and how we choose to wear it is one of life's most personal decisions. It's an expression of who we are, how we feel about ourselves, and in many cases, our culture. Think about how significant hair, how we wear it, what we do with it, all of that, how important that is in the African-American culture in particular. But what about how other people see our hair? What if our hair earns us special negative attention? Imagine if the way that your hair is styled or cut elicited negative feedback or consequences from friends or colleagues or, more important, from an employer. For many African Americans, and African American women in particular, there isn't a need to imagine that. Hair is such a rich and important part of black culture, but for many black women, it's also the basis for racist targeting and discrimination. Recent research from Michigan State University finds that black women who wear their hair naturally are often seen as less professional and less competent and are less likely to be referred for job interviews. In response, legislation sponsored by State Senator Sarah Anthony is trying to change the law and also possibly shift our culture around the concept of hair and what it means. Her bill, the Crown Act, which recently passed the state Senate, would extend state law to protect Michiganders from hair-based discrimination. That's what we want to talk about today on the program, hair and hair discrimination and the way it connects to standards of beauty that also hold really awful views about difference and especially when it comes to African-Americans and African-American women. Later in the program, we're going to talk with a philosophy professor about those beauty standards, both how they're determined and how they determine particular aspects of our lives. But before we get there, we want to talk about this bill in Lansing. What does it do? What is its likelihood of passing? And what are the experiences of workplace discrimination 
against black women who wear their hair naturally. To talk about this, we have State Senator Sarah Anthony with us. Senator Anthony, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So let's start with this. Tell us what the Crown Act is and how it would work. My goodness. So the Crown Act uh, is a bill that I have introduced uh, several times now, uh, first in 2019, again in 2021, and as recently as uh, February of this year. And essentially, the Crown Act would ban hair-based discrimination. Um, it would essentially protect hairstyles, including things like braids, locks, twists, that are associated with race. And uh, again, this is a bill that, as you mentioned, uh, passed the Michigan State Senate this year. And uh, this week, we plan on um, having a hearing in the House of Representatives, making it one step closer to the governor's desk. So let's talk about what life looks like right now without this law. I think a lot of people would say, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody faces discrimination because of the way they wear their hair. But as African-Americans, we know differently. Talk about what, what that looks and feels like for so many people right now. That's right. For anyone who thinks that hair discrimination is not real, I challenge them to go to a beauty shop, a barber, uh, a barber shop in, in a black community, uh, attend a sorority or fraternity meeting, or just talk to an African-American in our state or country. Uh, hair discrimination is absolutely real. We have heard the real stories from men and women and children about how their natural hair, their kinks, their curls, their locks, their braids have prohibited them from you know, participating in school sports, uh, being able to take school photos, uh, even walk across the graduation stage. We've heard from black women who have been sent home because they are wearing their natural curls um, or decided to stop chemically processing their hair. Uh, they have been told that they're not ready for a promotion or that in order for them to uh, be the face of the company, they have to do something to um, get rid of their uh, hair texture. And so these are things that happen in every corner of our state. And it's an honor to bring a voice to many of the individuals whose voices have not been heard um, here in the Capitol as it relates to hair-based discrimination. Yeah. So as you said, you initially proposed this bill in 2019, it's 2023. Different majorities in both the Senate and the House now than than when you initially proposed it. But I'm curious if if you can tell us a little about the reaction you've gotten from colleagues in the legislature when you first proposed this in 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 2019. Did people believe that this was a real problem? Did people doubt that we need a, a law specifically? To, to target this kind of discrimination? Um, yes, there's definitely been an evolution. And, and I do think one big uh, point that you mentioned was we do have a Democratic majority. Uh, these bills, time and time again, were referred to committees that to be sent to die. Uh, the House uh, Oversight Committee or Government Operations, 
never really to be heard. And that was always an issue for me is at least give the bills a hearing so that people can share their real lived experiences. But, you know, in 2019, I introduced the bill with no co-sponsors. So no support um, from individuals in the legislature. Uh, I think a key turning point, at least in the hearts and minds of lawmakers and really the public was the pandemic. You know, in 2020, many of us, many black women could not go to the hair salon. They were shut down. And so some folks embraced their natural hair out of necessity. And then there was the angst and fear of going back into the workplace and deciding whether we needed to chemically straighten our hair or add additional hair in order to align with uh, standards of beauty that were not our own. And so we've seen from a cultural perspective, men and women starting to embrace their natural hair, uh, but also the law needs to align with, you know, the, the shifting in the culture. And anytime I've, I hear stories of people literally being denied opportunity, that is when those of us in positions of power need to step up and make sure that we're lowering any barrier for people in our society. Mm-hmm. We're talking with State Senator Sarah Anthony. She represents the 21st District in Lansing, uh, which includes Lansing as well. Uh, she recently helped pass the Crown Act in the Senate, which prevents hair discrimination in the workplace. That is what we're talking about today on the show, talking about hair and hair discrimination, beauty standards generally, and the way in which they enforce inequality, especially against African-Americans and African-American women in particular. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Have you ever face discrimination against your hair or the way you show up at work? Have you had to change your hairstyle or other things about yourself in the workplace to accommodate a boss or colleagues who thought that the way you wore your hair somehow was inappropriate? Uh, Do you think a bill to stop this discrimination is necessary? Or do you think maybe it's not necessary because there are already anti-discrimination laws in our state? Uh, Also, tell us about these beauty standards that end up creeping into the workplace. Is it okay that the things that are popular or accepted somehow become the law or rules in workplaces? Should we be able to separate those things, even without a law that mandates that we do it? The number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Uh, Senator Anthony, I want to talk about the prospects for this bill. It's through the Senate. What's going on in the House? And have you had a conversation with Governor Gretchen Whitmer about what she would do with it if it got to her death? Well, you know, I mentioned that this is a new Democratic majority. And, you know, we have introduced bills and passed bills for our LGBTQ plus uh, brothers and sisters, workers, uh, women and their reproductive health care, business owners, surely we can pass a bill that disproportionately impacts African-Americans, one of the most uh, loyal constituencies to the Democratic Party. Uh, I believe that there is a willingness in the House and from our governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, Last year, she publicly affirmed the Crown Act, 
um, as something that she was looking forward to getting to her desk. So I am optimistic that this composition of the legislature um, will be signing the Crown Act into to law. My, my dream is that the governor would sign it at um, a, an event in Lansing mm-hmm. on the state lawn, the Capitol lawn, uh, called Black Girl Day of Play. Mm-hmm. On June 24th, there's going to be hundreds of black women and girls literally enjoying themselves. And, and what better way to um, celebrate uh, black womanhood and girlhood than to sign a bill celebrating our natural hair? So that's just a, a dream of mine. But uh, <laughs> even if it doesn't align with that, I just am excited that we're in a moment in time in which a, a black woman like myself can bring her whole experience to this position as a state senator. So 20 other states have adopted legislation that makes hair discrimination illegal. That's actually quite a few. Have have you looked at what's happened in those states? What kind of results are we seeing in, in those places? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the most part, I have seen positive results. There hasn't been, you know, tons of uh, outrage from the business community. That's a, a, something that we've heard from folks who are opposed to the Crown Act is that it will give uh, merit to frivolous lawsuits. That has not been the case. Um, and we have seen people move to states that, again, uh, seem more welcoming and open to individuals with natural hair. You know, the governor during her state of the state address said that bigotry is bad for business. And I think that bills such as the Crown Act do allow us to attract and retain people from all walks of life to our state. So I'm excited um, to join, you know, literally almost half of the states in the country mm-hmm. in finally embracing uh, natural hair. What about people who say we already have anti-discrimination laws on the books? We already say, you know, you can't you can't treat somebody differently because of who they are or what they believe or what they look like. And so this is a law that's not necessary. We did just, for instance, expand the Elliott Larson Act in in the state in a way that makes it stronger. Uh, how, how do you answer that criticism about legislation of this type? That's right. You know, we did expand Elliott Larson, and I think that Elliott Larson uh, is a bill that you know we are essentially amending to ban discrimination on the basis of hair. Um, if it wasn't an issue we wouldn't need this bill. And yet we still see in every corner of the state from Mount Pleasant, in which a, a, a young uh, biracial girl's hair was cut at school, to um, a little girl in Jackson whose braids prohibited her from uh, taking her school pictures. This is still happening to men, women, and children in our state. And so by strengthening our laws, we can essentially give a tool for citizens to combat racial discrimination. And hair-based discrimination is just that. It's thinly veiled racial discrimination. Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Kathy in Commerce Township. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. I can't hear you. Uh, Can you hear me now, Kathy? Told me to turn my radio down, but I can't hear you. Yeah, <laughs> you should turn your you should turn your radio down. <laughs> but I can't hear you, so I will just tell you what I have to say, which is 
When I was 16, I'm now a 68-year-old woman. I'm white. And when I was 16, I tried to get a job in Baskin-Robbins Ice Cream Parlor, and they didn't hire me because I had colored my hair. So there's all kinds of discrimination out there just because of your hair. Hmm. Uh, Kathy, that's an interesting story, and, and I'm sorry that that happened to you, even though it was a long time ago. Uh, Senator Anthony, I, I want to give you a chance to talk specifically, though, about why this kind of discrimination, when it happens against African-Americans and African-American women, is different. Not more important, not less important, but different from the kind of things that Kathy's talking about. And it's, it's about the connection to more broadly the, the, the inequality that we see already in our nation, the history of inequality in our nation. Uh, there is something about this that connects to white supremacy and to racism. That's right. That's right. So as a reminder, the Crown Act provides protections for by banning discrimination. Yes, uh, but it provides protections by uh, banning discrimination based on certain hairstyles and textures historically associated with race. And I think that that's important. Many, you know, so often African-Americans, you know, utilize braids or locks or twists as protective styles. Mm -hmm. You know, my own journey, you know, oftentimes women are chemically straightening our hair, but it has lasting health impacts. For me, my doctor said, in order for you to um, prevent fibroids, which had started to form in my body, there has been connections to many of the chemicals that we have used to chemically straighten our hair. And so instead of me trying to, you know, conform to white standards of beauty, my doctor said, you know what, it's time to just go natural and to find other ways to protect your hair and to style your hair. That is done out of necessity for, for many of us. And so I understand that, you know, whether it is hair color and, and style for other races, this is particularly associated with style related to race, so race-based discrimination. Okay, uh, State Senator Sarah Anthony of the 21st District here in Michigan. Really great to have you here on Detroit today, and uh, good luck with uh, the legislation that you're trying to get passed now in the House and then onto the governor's desk. Thank you so much. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about hair and beauty and status. Talk about how all of these things intersect a little more with philosophy. Professor Kate Mann also joining us will be Nefertiti Harris, owner of Textures by Nefertiti, a natural hair salon and spa that's right here in Midtown Detroit. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we can work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET brings you news about your neighborhood. WDET plays music from the Motor City. WDET amplifies the voices in our community. WDET is your public radio station.
is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. There's so much power in the idea of beauty, what it is and what it is not. In many surveys, for instance, people who are deemed to be beautiful are also considered to be more trustworthy, more competent, more friendly, likable, and intelligent than those who are considered unattractive. And these values have consequences in other spaces, too. One study found that when compared with quote-unquote attractive people who committed a moderate misdemeanor, the fines for people who were considered to be unattractive were about four times as large. But what is beauty exactly? How do we define that? And what are our standards for what's beautiful? Who is beautiful and who's not? And is that changing? Is it changing as the demographic makeup of our country changes and our culture changes with it? And how do all of these things interact with race and class and status? We've been talking about hair here on the show today, hair and hair discrimination, and how it connects to these standards of beauty and race and class and status. And that's where we want to continue the conversation on the show. We want to talk a little broadly about how all these things work together to continue the kind of inequality that's been with us from the beginning here in America. We've got two great guests to help us think through this. One is Kate Mann. She is the Associate Professor of Philosophy at Cornell University and has a forthcoming book, which is called Unshrinking, How to Face Fat Phobia. Kate Mann, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us is Nefertiti Harris. She is the owner of Textures by Nefertiti, which is a natural hair salon and spa right here in Midtown Detroit. Nefertiti, welcome back to Detroit today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It is really great to see you. Uh, it has been years since we've seen each it other has. in person. It has. Yeah. So, uh, Kate, I'm going to start with you. Let's talk about what beauty standards are, how do we determine them culturally, and in a really diverse nation like our own, how are standards for beauty changing? Yeah, well, I think one way to look at it is that beauty norms, beauty standards, essentially privilege certain features over others. Uh, so this is something that's been written about uh, very interestingly and compellingly by the philosopher Heather Widows, and she brings out the way that beauty standards privilege usefulness over signs of age. They privilege smoothness over lumpiness or any kind of, you know, different texture. Um, they privilege a firmness and tautness over looseness or so-called flabbiness. They privilege thinness over thickness or fatness. And they also privilege whiteness over blackness or brown uh, skin, as the case may be. So really, beauty standards have this ageism and fat phobia and racism and white supremacy kind of baked into them in this culture. Do you see that changing as 
as I pointed out, the demographic makeup of the of the nation changes, but also as the narrative in the nation changes. We are in a time where I think a lot of people are much more likely to recognize some of the things you were just pointing out, that the history of inequality here ties into the, the things that tell us what's beautiful and what's not. Are we, mm-hmm. are we moving away from those, those inequalities and towards something that is more human, I guess, in its approach? Yeah, more egalitarian. I don't think beauty standards themselves are shifting. Um, And one reason that is, is because they are so beneficial for capitalism. So here I've been really influenced by the black sociologist, Tressie McMillan Cottom, who writes that beauty is not about just preferences. It's about preferences that reproduce the existing social order. So her view, and I find this persuasive, is that beauty isn't just uh, contingently about increasing the power of white people. It is, its very function is to uh, uphold white supremacy and exclude black folks. So what I do see changing is resistance to beauty standards and forms of confronting them that are very powerful as we realize just how much damage beauty standards do because they basically uphold uh, certain pernicious hierarchies for profit so that people will invest a lot of time and a lot of money in looking as close as possible to this white, thin, cis, fit, ideal body, um, which is an ideal that centers a very narrow conception of human beauty and uh, serves almost no one. Mm. Uh, Nefertiti, I'm going to bring you into the conversation here. Uh, Talk about what beauty means to your clients and how it connects to culture and pride and celebration of blackness uh, in the face of the things that uh, Kate Mann was just talking about. Thank you for that question. You know, I've been in this business um, of curating and cultivating natural hair for the past 28 years, and I can, I've seen such a beautiful progression um, toward the embracing of our naturally kinky, curly hair in a positive way. There is a self-love that I particularly see in people of Detroit mm. that is over. That is so, so overwhelmingly beautiful. I remember when I got started in the 90s, the conversations that I was listening to and and actually constantly my 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 clients through was a conversation about the standard of beauty, the con- a conversation about, be, about being accepted either in the church, either in the either in the in the workplace, in in in, in their romantic relationships, and with and with themselves, with ourselves. And now, the conversations that I'm having are, hey, how can I have how can I how can my naturally tink, naturally kinky curly hair be 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 healthier. I want I want to come out of this 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 perm and it, and it's, it's not a lot of conversation about perms right now. Now we're having more there's more focus on how do we cultivate our naturally kinky curly hair 
to maybe our facial structure, mm-hmm. how are we working with the, our text? Because we we can have three or four di- three different textures of hair on <laughs> on one <laughs> head, right? And so you know, what do we do for a hot oil treatment? How do we how what do we do in the winter? What do we do in the summer? Because you know there are different things that we can do to keep our hair hair healthy depending on the season. So I'm entertaining more conversations about that. I started to see this this um, this shift, I would say, in the mid-2000s. Hmm. That's when I began to see this shift. Yeah. And I found it to be very, very interesting. And I'm going to say, particularly in Detroit. You know, Detroit is a, is, is, is the hair capital. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And we, are a, that, we right? lead the way for the rest of the nation. And so I really want for Detroiters to embrace that, to understand that this is part of our power, okay? And we can have more affirming, positive, powerful conversations about who we are as Detroiters, our standing in this nation. We lead the way and folk are looking at what we're doing. Yeah. We're the ones. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I grew up in the 70s and, and 80s here in Detroit, uh, a, a little black boy with pretty nappy hair. Uh, and, and I or can, sea hair. Yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> um, I love it. And, and I can remember in the 80s in particular, the, the pressure to, quote, quote, unquote, do something about your hair, right? The Jerry curl was really popular when I was in middle and high school and all kinds of other things that would change my hair or someone else's hair to look more quote unquote acceptable, I guess was the, was the word. And I, I, I wouldn't say straight because Jerry curls weren't straight, but there was something about it that seemed more like white hair, I guess, than, than, than black hair. And the damage that I can can remember feeling from that derision you would get about your hair if you didn't do those things uh, is is really hard to to relate to people. Uh, it's really hard to get someone else to even understand what that would feel like if you grew up thinking that there was something wrong with you uh, because your hair was a certain way. Now, of course, I have children who have never experienced that. They, right. they, they don't know really what that feels like. Isn't and I that think beautiful? That's, that's the change mm-hmm. that you're talking about is that that kind of, and, and again, self-assessment uh, uh, has changed in such a dramatic way in our own culture. Absolutely. Self-assessment, self-love, looking at what we did past generations that don't work for us now. And now, past generations are actually catching up, <laughs> right? And lo- and loving it, and loving it. I think we're just at a. I think we're just at a point in in Michigan where culturally we're caught up. We're just wanting the corporations, the 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 political sphere to catch up with us. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what you make of beauty standards, what physical attributes you find beautiful. How does hair fit into those beauty standards for you? And how do you connect that 
to culture? How do you connect it uh, to the way that our history of inequality in culture affects our beauty standards? Uh, You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with Bernadette in Old Radford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. I want to tell you that I'm going to have to spend all of my IRA money looking like I'm 20 years younger than I really am (laughs) because from getting my hair either twisted or braided or colored so that the gray doesn't show to having a nip and tuck so that my nasal labial fold doesn't age me, uh, not to mention having to uh, watch my diet watch my knees. Uh, it's costing me a fortune just to be beautiful. No, I'm not beautiful, just to be okay. <laughs> Bernadette, that does not sound... Does not sound pleasant, um, and, and I'm sorry that you're you're experiencing that, uh, Kate. Man, uh, this is exactly what you're talking about. This this kind of uh, oppressive sense that there's just something not perfect about us, and that it has to be fixed. And for someone like Bernadette, who, as she said, is getting a little older and uh, and and changing. That that becomes the the it can become the central obsession of uh, of your attention. Yeah, you know something that Bernadette's you know story is bringing out, and I really you know I'm feeling a lot of solidarity here. I turned forty this year. It, mm-hmm. The fact is, we need to hate the game, not the player. <laughs> I mean, it's often rational within a fat phobic and ageist and white supremacist society to invest this money, this time in these beauty practices that really don't serve us ultimately, except they kind of do within the structures that we have that reward people who are, you know, as you were talking about, Stephen, in opening, are considered attractive and really punish and police people who are considered unattractive or who are not doing enough upkeep, doing enough maintenance as they, you know, get a little older as we all are. So, you know, really it's about harvesting these profits off of our bodies and really making it very difficult for people to opt out of beauty practices that are seen as an essential form of personal upkeep or even self-care when the reality is that they're expensive, often unpleasant, and sometimes quite violent ways of treating our bodies that could be just left to our own devices if we truly abandon beauty culture, as commentators like Jessica Defino have been urging us to do. Mm. Uh, in as much as we can, right, you know, right. in as much as we have the privilege of disinvesting in that way. So you've coined a term, and it's called uh, body reflexivity. I wonder what mm. that means, and if you can talk about how that relates to the to the things that we're talking about here. Yeah, totally. So the movements of body positivity and body neutrality might be familiar to at least um, a significant portion of your listeners. But for those of you who don't uh, know those terms, body positivity is all about having a positive attitude towards ourselves. And um, that's an important movement that has its roots in black feminism in the 1960s. Um, But it's kind of been co-opted by, you know, things like the Dove Beauty Campaign and Love Yourself while featuring images of young, pretty thin white women um, who, you know, certainly are at most, you know, a size 16 rather than a size 26 or a size 36. You know, they're still relatively um, slim women. And um, 
you know, people have become a bit skeptical of body positivity because it demands a lot from the individual. It kind of says, well, you, you have to have a positive attitude um, or else. And then body neutrality comes along and says, well, maybe we should have a merely neutral attitude towards our own bodies. And I don't think the answer is to have one monolithic attitude towards our bodies. To me, we need a different focus. So the slogan that has really been freeing for me in this conversation is, my body is for me and your body is for you. And each person's body is for them fundamentally and that has consequences politically for what we're allowed to do with our bodies namely anything that we like that doesn't hurt other people and also it really chips away at the sense of entitlement to comment on or judge people's bodies or rank or rate them what if we just stopped assigning numbers altogether you know what if it was not a matter of all bodies are beautiful or all bodies can be regarded neutrally, but all bodies are fundamentally the possession of the person who inhabits them. Mm. So that's what the movement um, to body reflexivity is all about. It's kind of about transcending judgment, be it positive, negative or neutral, and about saying, no, we really need to focus on who the body is for namely its possessor. Yeah. Uh, Nefertiti, that that seems very much in line with the things that you are trying to do in your salon, this idea of owning your own image, owning your own self-assessment, and then saying, I don't need to change what is intrinsic about me in order to be okay. Absolutely, because everything about you is absolutely perfect. So, mm-hmm. so, so there, there. So it's really, it's really, it's really a mindset. To be, to be honest with you, when our guests come into our space, our approach is that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing that we're fixing here. What we're doing is we are enhancing what's already here. And we're having deep conversation. We have. We're also doing a deep dive about who who is sitting and who is sitting in front of us. Yeah. Who's sitting in front of us? And and again, we 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 are just validating the beauty that is all that is already there. And we're just taking what we see, and we're teaching the person how to do the same for themselves. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna take I a quick break. That. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about hair and beauty and self-image and culture and race. We will keep Kate Mann and Nefertiti Harris. We will also continue to hear from you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining us. Our guests right now are Kate Mann, an associate professor of philosophy at Cornell University. She writes about the intersection of beauty and power and status. She's got a book out uh, called Unshrinking, How to Face Fat Phobia. Also with us is Nefertiti Harris, an owner of Textures by Nefertiti, which is a natural hair salon and spa right here in Midtown Detroit. We're talking about hair and beauty standards and race and discrimination and culture, all the ways that these things create lots of problems for uh, people who um, maybe uh, look a little different than everyone else. Uh, The idea of cultural difference, of ethnic difference and the way it is received in our culture is uh, one of the really problematic dynamics we own. We would love to hear from you as well. What do you make of our beauty standards? Are they changing? Are they changing for the better to be more inclusive and accepting? What about hair? Uh, There's a bill that has passed the state Senate in Lansing that would prevent discrimination on the basis of hair, something that many African-Americans and African-American women in particular are kind of familiar with, and maybe not everybody knows that. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Nefertiti, you had a question for Kate Mann at Cornell. Go ahead and ask. Hi. I do have a question. Mm-hmm. So, 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 um, just for clarity, you're you're not you're not advocating that that people don't take care of their bodies, right? Mm. Because I, and the reason why I say that is because in our in, in the black community, a lot, a lot of reasons why we could be overweight is because of the mm-hmm. way we are treating our bodies, mm. because of our diet. Because of the way we are, because of our lifestyles, because of food deserts, because, you know, all the things, the, you know, the lack of healthy, nutritious foods, so the lack of, you know, the lack of education around what we should be eating. So just for clarity, you're not advocating that. No, certainly. I mean, you know, I think focusing on what the body needs and the nourishment we need is all to the good. Um, and certainly focusing on communities that are subject to what could even be termed a form of food apartheid, where, you know, there's a real lack of access to both fresh and shelf-stable foods that all communities deserve access to. You know, I think that's all to the good. I think where I would advocate caution is focusing on weight for its own sake, because weight is at most a proxy for the health that we should care about directly. And my view is that when people are caring for their bodies and getting the appropriate access to fresh food and the time and space to exercise and do those healthy things and get enough sleep and practice uh, forms of stress reduction and aren't being overly stressed in their jobs um, or lack thereof, I think people will still come in a diverse range of shapes and sizes and that's a natural and beautiful part of human diversity. Um, So does that make sense that um, taking the focus off weight and focusing more directly on health measures and the kind of practices that 
you know, many people would be more able to engage in if we had better access to um, the right resources. That's where I think the focus deserves to be. Thank you for articulating that, because a lot of times I see many people that confuse body positivity with, oh, I don't have to do anything. I Mm -hmm. I don't have to pay any attention to my body at all. Mm. I'm just fine just just being, (laughs) you know, unhealthy. This is just. And so I just want to make sure, as you've just done, you know, that that you focus on. On that, that you that you shed some light on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think the idea is that, um, you know, look, bodies are precarious and fragile and we do need to take care of ourselves, um, but that will look different for different people with a different range of resources. And one thing I would also say to be careful of is that a person's weight isn't an automatic guide to their health. We shouldn't read someone's health status off their weight because people can be, for example, fat and healthy. Right. Um, and people can be thin and unhealthy. So Absolutely. caring directly about health measures like, are you getting enough nutrients? Are you getting enough food, which so many Americans are not getting enough food? Or are you getting enough access to foods that have enough nutrients for our bodies, including things like fruits and vegetables? You know, these are all things that are a crucial aspect of social justice. What goes wrong is when we just focus on weight directly rather than caring about people's health and their access to the resources for equitable health and health care. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Um, Thanks, Nefertiti. I, I want to add another uh, local voice to the conversation here. Sione Parker is a hairstylist in Detroit as well. Sione, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so personally, as a black stylist, um, it means everything to me to do black hair. Um, from creating different new and different looks, um, making my clients feel beautiful and confident. Um, we have different textures, lengths of hair. We can almost do anything we want with our hair. Um, this means when a client comes to me and has a desire to look a certain way, I try my best to achieve it. Um, I know that our hair sets a tone for us in this world. So when our hair is done, not only do we look good, we feel good. <laughs> um, so that can carry into our home, our, our work, our social life, um, schools, everything. Um, so any style from braids to natural hair to weave, um, it allows us to represent the golden image of black beauty. Um, just our flexibility of styles is like no other. Um, we are unique and we do stand out. Um, I believe that it sometimes will intimidate different work and school environments. Um, they can view our hair as distractions or think that we're not fitting into a certain image that they have. Um, but however, I think that we either have no impact or a positive impact on the way that we work. Um, I don't think it's our fault of how others view view our hair. I think that's what needs to change is the way that um, how we are viewed in society instead of having us change our look to fit in. To fit in, yeah. Uh, Sione, really yeah. appreciate mm-hmm. uh, you you joining us and and uh, sharing that perspective uh, as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to go next to Carolyn in Ypsilanti. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank hey. you for having this conversation. Sure. Um, 
I guess the question, and really just building on the last couple of things we've heard, the concept of look good, and then not taking that to an extreme of where you are getting Botox and lip fillers and all these things, because that's what makes me feel good. Because ultimately, it's you're still kind of trying to fit within those beauty norms that we've heard talked about. And so I'm just curious how our, our panelists today kind of sort through that balance of still embracing your beauty, as Nefertiti said, you're perfect as you are, with still doing some of these things yeah. to make ourselves feel even better. Yeah. Uh, Nefertiti, I'll give you first crack at answering that. <laughs> okay, the Botox. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not really your specialty, right? <laughs> um. So I guess you know there is there there this is this is in this is individual choice which we all have right, and so th- there is a balance as we've seen things go awry when the folks' idea self image of them the image that they have of themselves doesn't really match what the world sees, and so they go back and get more and more and it's never enough. It's never enough, and now they're looking kind of skewed. I would, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, you know, I, I understand what she's saying in terms of you know, feeling good about about your outward appearance is 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 in, I have no judgment against that at all, but I just think at a certain point there's a fine line between. Um, your self-image, what you're seeing, and just kind of, kind of over, over, overdoing it. I think the yeah. doctor can speak more yeah. to this because yeah. this is not my field. That's <laughs> okay. All. Yeah, Kate, man, uh, I've got about a minute and a half left, but uh, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, look, it it's as Nefertiti brought out. It's a fine line and it's a difficult balance. But I would say a good question to ask yourself, and that Caroline's pointing to here is: Am I doing this for? me or am I doing this because I have this idea of what my body ought to look like and that I should be fitting this mold and that I should be conforming to these frankly you know terrible pernicious norms that say people should look one way rather than another or is it really about self-expression is it that you know I think it's cool to dye my hair and you know maybe in an unconventional way maybe I want green hair and that's just going to feel like me that I think is you know uh, something that's wonderful and to be embraced Um, whereas if we're conforming to norms that make us look as thin as possible as white as possible as youthful as possible then we're really feeding into a more damaging sense that our bodies should all look one way that conforms to conventional beauty norms and that generally isn't about the person it's about them feeling uncomfortable in their own skin in society which is understandable um but yeah maybe should be resisted along with practices like botox that have you know real potential health consequences sure okay Kate Mann and Nefertiti Harris. It was really great to have both of you here for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you Thanks so, so much. much for having me. Such a great conversation. It Thank is. you. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about Michigan's population loss and Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud's plan to increase the population 
in his city. Lots of conversation last week up on Mackinac Island about population here in Detroit and in the state of Michigan. I'm eager to have that conversation here back in Detroit on the show. This is 1019 WDTFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.